This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day. Because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Hello, shameless moms. I am so happy to be here with you today. I am recording this episode having just come back from the University of Washington for my 1,375th IVF fact-finding mission. Um, So that's what we're going to talk about today. I posted on Facebook yesterday asking you all how you decided how many kids you were going to have. Because for us, the decision to have a second child has easily been the hardest decision of my life. Um, I don't know if my husband would say it was, it's been the hardest decision of his life or not, but together it's, I think it's been our hardest decision as a couple just because there's so many conflicting emotions. Um, and some of them are like very practical things, like it's expensive to have a second child. And then there's these emotional things that are like, oh, but baby snuggles and like, you know, singing songs together. And and then there's barf and poop. And oh, it's just the list of pros and cons is never ending. And I actually, prior to recording this, sat down and started writing on a list of pros and cons for having a second child. And I'm going to share that list with you in a minute. But I felt like I could have just like been typing forever. And then the pros start turning into the cons and the cons start turning into the pros. Like the, my list has so many of the same things on each side. It's kind of interesting. So that's going to be fun to talk about. So what I want to talk about today is what this decision has been like for us, where we're going with it, what's up with all the IVF fact finding and kind of the rabbit hole that we've found ourselves in and where we're going from here. 
because we are in uncharted territory and not that no one else in the world has done this, but I feel like no one talks about the decision to have a second kid or a third kid or a fourth kid. I feel like people talk about whether or not they're going to have kids and that's a conversation maybe that you have with people. But I feel like for most people, it's just often from my perspective, it seems like it's just a given. Like people just know if they're going to have more than one kid and they just do that or they know that they only want one and then they just do that. Like it, it's not something that you see people like talking about on social media or um, there's not large scale conversations among women that, that I've been a part of or seen at least um, about how many kids to have. But yet I feel like it's such a huge decision. And for us, we knew that we wanted to be parents. We were definitely slightly terrified, but we also knew that we would have some regret if we never did it. So while we never quite felt ready to have a child and get pregnant, um, we also felt like we knew ultimately it was something that we wanted. And for us, because it took so long to get pregnant the first time, we also had a lot of time for that to settle in. It didn't happen really quickly. Whereas I think if it had happened really quickly, we might've had a little bit like more of this panic and freak out and, oh my gosh, what are we doing? But because it took us so long, by the time it happened, we were like, dear God, like we are so ready. So it was actually like, it was such a relief when it happened, knowing that it could happen and that it was like a reality was just overwhelming joy. So this time around, trying to figure out if we're going to have a second, we have such conflicting emotions. And this for, so I think, I don't think guys think about this every single day. I think about it every single day though. And I, one of my husband and I talk about it, he'll be like, Oh, I haven't thought about it in a while. And I'm like, what? Like how I have literally every single day since Vinny was born, I have thought about having a second child. And so probably for the first two, for the first year, especially, but probably for even like maybe the first year and a half or two years, every day I would think, Oh my God, I have to do this again. Because when we had a first child, I always thought, I always assumed we would have two kids. I always saw myself as someone who would have two kids. So there, there was just this assumption for me in motherhood that I would have two children. And in that first year after Vinny was born, every single day I thought, oh my God, I have to live this day again when I have a second child. And that first year was really, really hard for me. And that hasn't, I feel like sometimes you get out of that first year or you, you, you get past certain milestones and you forget about them or you forget kind of how they impacted you. And the more quickly you can forget those things and move on, the more quickly I think you're more likely to be like, yeah, let's do it again. So people who have really easy first babies are like, yeah, sure, let's have a second. And then like their second babies are super hard and, or like they just have a very different experience. So I did not have an easy first baby. I had a horrific time nursing. So all the things about that first year were really overwhelming and really challenging. I felt like I completely lost my sense of self. It took me probably three years to get it back. Um, so it's just been... It's been tumultuous to say the least. So the idea of doing that again has been very overwhelming and very daunting for me. And so if we've, as we've considered the idea of having a second child, it's weighed very heavily on me because I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it again. I don't know if there's room. And that's something that we actually ended up going to a therapist about because we were so undecided and we really felt like we could not figure it out. So we, we ended up going to a therapist together, which was really helpful. It did not, this is interesting though. So we started going to the therapist, I think about a year ago and we went, so a year ago it took us with Vinny, we ended up doing um, IUI. So we have infertility um, and we cannot get pregnant naturally. So we did IUI to get pregnant with Vinny, which is in, intrauterine insemination, which is essentially like they insert a catheter into your uterus and then they like via a syringe, put the sperm in, into the uterus that way. And then the egg gets fertilized. So, so that's how we got pregnant with Vinny. And I did it in my doctor's office. And it's very like, 
not invasive compared to IVF and it's not a huge deal. When I was going through it, it felt like a big deal. But now that I've learned about the IVF process, I'm like, oh, IUI is like cakewalk. So um, that's how we got pregnant with Vinny. So a year ago, because as Vinny, he was approaching three and I was like about to be 40 and we were like, oh my gosh, like if we're going to do this, we should do this. So we decided to do two rounds of IUI last spring, a, a little over a year ago. And neither round took. And both times I was so relieved. And the first, so the first time it didn't work, I think I was at home when I, when we found out that it didn't work and I was just like, Oh my God, thank God. And I remember like telling Vince like, Oh, it didn't work. Like no worries. We're good. And he was like, Oh, okay, great. Like he, and he was like, he's not a super emotional person. So he was just like, okay. Like he didn't have a super emotional response. The second time it happened, we were in Cannon beach um, on the Oregon coast. And I got, I think I must have, t- I don't remember if I took a test or got my period or what, but it was like, we knew that it, that the IUI hadn't worked and, um, we were with friends. And so, and I remember, Oh, I know what happened. I got my period. We were in Cannon beach and we were like Vinny, we were in the pool and Cannon beach and I get my period and I'm like, Oh my God, like I don't even have tampons with me. Like I had to like go to the store and get tampons and everything. And so the other mom I was with knew what we were going through. And she was like, Oh my gosh, like, are you upset? And I was like, no, like let's drink some wine. I'm not pregnant. Like happy hour. I was so relieved and she was so sweet. And she was like trying to make sure like I was okay. And which was so nice. And then I told Vince, I'm like, yeah, we're good. Like let's get some drinks going. And it was after that, it was when we came home from that. And I was like, I have to tell you, I was talking to Vince. I said, I have to tell you, I am so overwhelmingly relieved that both of these pregnancy, potential pregnancies did not happen that I think we need to, I don't, I don't think this is the right thing for us right now, because I think like I would really freak out if we actually got pregnant right now. So that's where we like push pause and we're like, let's go to the therapist. So we go to the therapist and we talked through a bunch of things, which was really interesting because what happened is we talked about she brought to light like the biggest reasons that I was, and I knew a lot of the reasons that I was afraid about getting pregnant and afraid of a second child and not felt and didn't feel ready for that yet. But she also brought to light some really good questions. And she said like, you know, what, what would have to change in your life or what would have to happen for you to feel like you did have space for a second child? Like if having a second child is a priority for you, but you can't wrap your head around how to feel comfortable with that, what do you think you need to do to make room for that? Because I really felt like my plate was so full that I didn't see how I could add something as big as another baby to that plate. And I thought that was such a great question. And she was like, what would need to happen? Like, what would you need from Vince? What would you need from your childcare situation? What would you need from your professional situation? Like, what would you need from all these different areas of your life for you to feel like I can take on another child or take on a pregnancy and then a child? And that was very helpful to me where I could really then like kind of almost make a list of like, I need these seven things before this can happen. So in the last year, I've definitely been able to kind of create some of those things um, and make some space in my life. And that's been really freeing and and definitely made me feel a little more open to this idea of like, if we ultimately want to do this, I think I might have the capacity for it, which is very different than a year ago where I was just like, oh my God, like we just have to do it because we're running out of time and this is going to suck. But like, let's just do it anyways, because I always thought I wanted this and I can't imagine it, but like, let's just freaking do it. And like feeling kind of like bitter about the whole thing. So that's where we left off last year. And then as we decided and kind of as we started looking into like, maybe we want to do this, it also became um, through some conversations with my doctor became apparent that it might be best to just go straight to IVF because of my age, because success rates with IUI and people who are almost 41 are not super high. 
And so it just seemed to make more sense to go straight to IVF. Also, I have had, I've done seven rounds of IUI. Um, I did five rounds to get pregnant with Vinny. And that's a lot. Like usually it takes faster than that. And then we had these two unsuccessful rounds last year where she's like, you know, maybe this isn't like the best means for you. So because of your age and timeframes and stuff, like let's look into this IVF and see what that would all be about. So I have some ethical things about IVF. I will just put this out there. And I've said this in prior episodes, but it it's maddening to me that IVF is like a very elitist thing. Um, it is ridiculously expensive. And so I kind of like from the beginning was like, I don't want to do this thing that like, it just feels the fertility industry in general makes my skin crawl because, and we found this out with Vinny, like we went and did some testing and um, some exploratory stuff over at Seattle Reproductive Medicine. And it's just big business. And I'm not saying this about Seattle Reproductive Medicine in general or like targeting them. I think this is just the fertility industry. But it is big business. It's very expensive. And it's it's insulting and offensive to me that this can't be that that fertility stuff can't be more attainable to more people. So I want to put that out there because that is something that tripped me up a little bit. And it definitely made me conscious of where I was going to do treatment, how I was going to go about treatment. Like I was like, I'm not going to Seattle Reproductive. I'm not going to go to like the Cadillac of services. I don't believe in reproduction being the big business that it is. It's that is really bothersome to me. I'm grateful that it exists. I'm grateful for the science, but it really pisses me off that more people can't do this. I mean, just the drugs alone, like none of it's covered by insurance. Some states do cover parts of it. Washington is not one of those states. Um, so like just the drugs alone in during our fact finding that we've been doing in the last few months, they told us they were like, you know, the drug rates are going to be changing. I think, I don't know if it was in Washington state or nationwide in July. So they were like, if you're going to be, if you think you're going to do this, you should get the drugs in advance because the drugs are going to go from, and I'm doing all this at the University of Washington, which is like the cheap place to do IVF. It's still very expensive, but it's the cheap place to do IVF because the University of Washington is not a fertility clinic, or I mean, they have a fertility clinic, but it's not a business that makes money on fertility. It is uh, like state, uh, it's a national hospital medical institution. I'm not sure that I'm saying that right, but at the very least, my point is that it's not a fertility corporation, which is what I didn't want to support. So we're doing it all at the University of Washington and uh, they, they have like the cheapest drugs you can get. I've called all over and the cheapest get drugs that you could get were going to be like $1,000. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. In July, the drugs went up to $3,000 because of this, the pharmaceutical industry. So there's just like all these pieces to it that just, like I said, make my skin crawl. So that's a little bit of a tangent, but I just want to be really clear that that's bothersome to me. And I, I, I wish that fertility practices could be more accessible to more people because I think that like, I don't think that you should have to like liquidate your 401k if you can't, if you want to have a child, because you can be in a financial situation to support a child, but not be able to afford IVF. And that's a very real reality. Um, you shouldn't have to like remortgage your house to do IVF. Um, so, and I think that we're going to see this change in the next five to 10 years because I think more and more states are getting on board with being helpful with this and supporting um, women's health in this way and family health in this way. But I don't have five to 10 years because I'm going to be 41 in November. So we're doing it now. Okay. So we decided in um, like this late winter that we would start looking into all this IVF stuff. So we start looking into the IVF stuff and it really, I mentioned this in another episode where I was like, we're just going to do some fact finding. And so I went to the University of Washington and got information and like one appointment turned into another and it was just like, oh, like here's like you can get this information this way and like let us run some blood tests on you and see where you're at. And then we'd find out if you're a good candidate. And it just kind of snowballed that way. Like every time they got more information, they're like, well, yeah, you can come back and see if this looks good too. And then we'll know like what protocol would be best for you. So then I would do that. And then they would say, oh, okay, well now like the next step. So we did like all these steps 
and to see like what would I be a good candidate for and what would make the most sense. And like they do these kind of like package deal things and like what package would make the most sense for us given where my um, what what my like reproductive health looks like overall. So we did all of that and things actually looked a little bit better than we thought they were going to look um, for my age. So that was exciting. I had some blood work done a year ago and it wasn't looking super great. And now it's like looking better this year. So I don't know why, but great, I'll take it. So that was actually really encouraging and promising. And so it looked like we would maybe be able to do IVF in a way that would be a little bit less expensive for us and also a little bit less invasive in terms of like doing multiple rounds of egg retrievals and rounds of hormones and things like that. So then it was basically, we get to a point where we're like, do we continue to schedule these appointments? Because what's funny is you pay for the appointments as you're going and they're just all these little like office visits and like an ultrasound here and there. And then you get to this point where it's like, okay, if you're going to do this, like you write the big check, which is not a big check because we were like, oh, how can we get airline miles for this? Right? Because that's what you do. Like if you're going to pay a lot of money for something, you figure out how you can get some miles for it. So we were like, what credit cards can we like, we're dividing it up between credit cards so we can get as many miles as possible. So at least we'll get a good trip out of this, if nothing else. So we um get to the point where we have to make this decision. Like, are we going to make, are we going to make the big payment? And are we going to make these next few appointments? And so what we decided is, yep, we're going to do it. So it's looking like we're going to be starting IVF soon. And, uh, that doesn't mean I'm not about to poop my pants over the whole thing because I totally am for many reasons. I'm still really worried about like the pros and the cons and I'm still really torn. And so my little list that I made earlier of the pros and the cons, I mean, like the things that I've been thinking about every day for four years, I think about like, yeah, I want to have baby snuggles again and I want a breastfeeding do over. Not because I want to breastfeed again because I really don't, but I want to like, I want to do low key breastfeeding. Like I'm not going to kill myself with breastfeeding and I will totally give my child formula way earlier than I did last time. And if breastfeeding sucks, I will stop breastfeeding and give my child formula 100%. So like ideally I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I could do like a little bit of breastfeeding and a little bit of formula, which is what I ultimately ended up doing with Vinny. But it took me a long time to get there and a lot of like pumping around the clock to get there and doing all these things that I felt like I had to do in order to try to make it work before I gave into formula. This time I'm like, oh, formula day one, let's go. So we'll see how that plays out. You know, if we, if we end up getting pregnant, we'll see how that plays out. But I want like a do-over for breastfeeding to not rule my whole life because it really ruled that whole first year of Vinny's life or the first six months at least. And I want a do-over. I want that time back. I want to have that newborn time that is just about like laying on the couch and having snuggles and not be all about like, okay, well, he had this much time breastfeeding and now I need to go pump this many ounces so that he can have this. And like, it was literally like made me insane. And it really, really took away from the joy of that first year for me. I want to have a baby again and know what I'm getting myself into. You know, I did not know before what I was getting myself into. And I remember waking up the morning after Vinny was born. I hope I don't lose you here. We had Vinny at home. Someday I'll do a whole episode on that. I probably won't do a home birth the second time around. And that's a whole nother episode as to why I did a home birth and it went very well, but that's not to say that I did not want drugs every single minute that I was in labor. So I'll do that. I'll tell you a whole episode about that at some point. I am completely open to having drugs the second time around. Um, So in which case I will not be having my baby at home. But that first morning after Vinny was born, I woke up and he was in the bed next to me and 
my husband was downstairs and I walked down the stairs and he, my husband is standing in the middle of the living room, just like staring off into space. And I was like, Hey, um, what are you doing? And he was like, so I just realized that like this baby, we're going to have a baby in this house like every day for the rest of our life. And it had hit him like, there's no way out. There's, we are beyond the point of return with this issue. And so for him, it hit him in that, in that moment. It was this big thing. For me, it took a while. I spent probably six months waiting for things to quote unquote go back to normal. And then I spent the next six months from the time Vinny was like six months to a year grieving the fact that like, holy shit, they're never going back to normal. Like, why did no one ever tell me this? So that was devastating. And I, I'm not like, I'm not exaggerating. It was devastating. And we were in this parent group that met every week, which was a godsend. And every single week I would say like, I'm just grieving my old life. And I didn't, it's not that I didn't want to be in the life that I was in. I just did not understand how hard it was going to be and how relentless it was going to be. And at one point I said to someone, every day is the same day. And the person I was talking to was I can't remember if they weren't a mom or like they had grown kids or something. And they're like, yeah, like every day Saturday. I was like, no, every day is Monday. Every single day is Monday. It's the same horrible day that you're not sure how you're going to make it through over and over again. And even if you wake up and you're like game face on and like, I'm going to make today great. 45 minutes later, it already sounds like this was my piss poor attitude um, that I was like kind of in shock that first year. I couldn't wrap my head around like I'm never getting my old life back. And not that I wanted my old life back. I was happy to be a mom and I loved my child, but I also was just so blown away by the magnitude of like my world being flipped upside down and that, and that it wasn't going to be right side up for like um, 18 more years. So that was really hard for me. So I feel like the second time around, I'll know what I'm getting into. I like my life has already been flipped upside down. I, I don't think it can be flipped again. The only thing that would happen is it get flipped, gets flipped again and we're back to normal. We're back to like, let's go back to Sarah when she was 39 and peacefully and peaceful and joyful or not 39, 36 before I had Vinny. Um, some of the other, another pro of this, of having another baby would be for Vinny to not have only child syndrome. We all know those only children who are now grownups and they still have to have everything their own way all the time. So I have some friends who are only children who are phenomenal people. And I actually give them a hard time for only child syndrome. Sometimes my husband is the youngest of six children and all of his five siblings are are, are 10 to 20 years older than him. So I give him a hard time for having only child syndrome because his siblings are so much older than him that in many ways he is an only child. So here's the thing about only child syndrome you like always want things to be your way and you're really good at pouting when they aren't. And that can last from age zero to age death. So I don't want my child to be like that. I'm not saying that all only children are like that, but I am aware of only child syndrome and I don't want that for my child. So I feel a huge sense of responsibility if we don't have a second child to make sure that Vinny is like constantly surrounded by other kids and having to like be flexible for other people's needs and wants and desires. Um, so if we were to have another child, I wouldn't have to be so worried about only child syndrome. I also think if we have another child, there's like this joy and fulfillment that comes with parenting that you can't like ever put your finger on, but it's just there. And it's this thing that you just feel that, and it sounds stupid if you say it to someone else or to another person, especially who's not a parent where you're like, Oh, my kid said the funniest thing today. And it just made my day. Like non-parents are like, 
what the hell are you talking about? And the funny stories that you have really mean nothing to anyone except for you and maybe your spouse. But like the things that can make your day are just, it's these tiny little things, which are so amazing. Also, we have a second child. There's two people to take care of Vince and I when we're older. That's twice as good as one, right? Like I don't want just one person to be responsible for that. I feel like if things go backward, if things go like haywire and Vinny's not in a position to help me when I need to go to the home, then there's a backup, right? I also think about holidays and having a bigger family for holiday celebrations. That's very appealing to me. I think about just doing more like family trips and having like more fun and more joy because there's just more dynamics and different dynamics. I think about seeing the world through another child's eyes. That has been, you know, so much fun for me to see Vinny, the world through Vinny's eyes and especially as his with language development and see how he articulates things. Just it's magic. And that's the thing about having a second child is just the desire for more magic moments. And I think that's really what it comes down to is that like, you don't know what you're in for. You don't know what you're going to get. There's no guarantees. You could get at 41. A lot of things could go wrong, but if you end up with a second child, no matter what the situation of that child, there's going to be more magic moments. There might be struggles and there can be some big struggles when you're having a baby in your forties, but there's also, there's going to be magic moments. And I think that that's really like the, the hope and what you go for when you decide you're going to have a second child or a third child or whatever is that like you're signing up for more magic and you don't know what that magic's going to look like. You can't anticipate it, but once you're there, once you're in it, there is, it's magic. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.
I'm not I'm totally going to start crying if I keep talking about the magic moments. So we'll move on to the cons. So the cons, this will not make me cry. Um, the cons is that if we have another child, I'm dealing with barf and poop and breastfeeding and newborn land and potentially colic and a lot of sleeplessness and diapers and breast pumps and bottles and so much gear every time you go anywhere for the first year, right? It's also expensive. Kids need so much stuff and they eat a lot of food, <laughs> like not when they're babies, but like ultimately, I mean, already like Vinny's appetite is getting bigger and bigger as he grows. And I'm like, seriously, kid, like I can't afford all these avocados. <laughs> so like we got to let's just slow down a little bit on the expensive food. You're only allowed so much protein because the protein's a little my my organic chicken is a little pricey. In addition to that, if we have another child, there's less me time. I feel like I've finally gotten to this really nice balance of like my work time and my personal time and Vince takes Vinny out on Saturday mornings. And so there's this really nice balance between like family time and work time and personal time. And I feel like we have a really good rhythm about that right now. I'm going to tell you right now, a newborn is going to completely screw that all up. So I'm definitely a little worried about that. Um, I also worry about pushing pause on work and my business development and my travel opportunities that come with working and the work that I do. You know, there's a lot of things that I want to do with my shameless mom platform. There's a lot of things that I want to do with my gym platform. And this happened before when I was working at trying to get pregnant with Vinny is that I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to do all these things before this baby comes because then I have to push pause and pushing pause is a little bit scary for me. And it's a little bit hard for me because I don't know exactly like if I push pause, when can I start up again? And with a baby, it's, you just don't know. You don't know how that's all going to play out with Vinny. I thought I would stay home for like two months and then be back in the gym teaching boot camp, And that didn't happen. It took me like four months. And then even at four months, I was like, I can come in like twice a week. I can't be here every day. Um, there was just too many things going on with my health, with his health, with his emotions. And he was so significantly attached to me. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be like at the gym every day. That's just not an option for me. And there's, I totally understand that there are so many parents that have no option at all. They just have to go back to work. But I think that that is, that's a lot of stress and it's a lot of pressure. And you just never know what that timeline is going to look like or what the demands will be on you or what the dynamic will be between you and that baby that you have to leave behind if you do have to go back to work. So that's a big consideration for me. Also, I really, really love my work. So it's not like me saying like, oh, I'm going to take three months off and see what happens. It's like, oh my gosh, like I have to stop working for three months or work less for three months. Like that's a big bummer for me. So figuring that piece out is a big deal for me. Also, one of the bigger considerations for us is that we really recognize that if we only have one kid, there's a lot of really cool things we could do that we can't do with two kids or that we can't do for a lot longer if we have two kids. So, you know, we've decided that Vinny is going to be four in September. We could like do a family trip to Europe because he's going to be old enough to be able to hang. And like, especially my husband, I have not been to Europe, but my husband has spent a lot of time in Europe. He was actually stationed over there for three years um, in the, in, when he was in the army. And when he was over there, he got to travel all over Europe. And he talks about like it just being so kid friendly and like, you know, touring all over Italy and France with a kid and everyone just loves kids. And like the kids can come in bars and restaurants and it's just a kid friendly kind of a culture. And that sounds amazing, but like, we're not going to do that with a five-year-old and a newborn. No way. So those kinds of things, it's like, oh, if we don't do that, you know, if we have a second child, we're not doing that for like probably five more years. That's a long time. And that's, and then we're only doing it if we can afford it because two kids, I mean, like that's crazy expensive. So it's, those are big considerations. In spite of all of that, 
I have taken on 1 million doctor appointments up to this point. We've taken on these two huge credit card bills to decide that we're going to move forward with IVF. We have taken on a fridge full of drugs. So my fridge current, my CRISPR is completely full of drugs for IVF right now. I got them before the prices went up. So I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. Like that was literally like part of the deciding factor. Like the prices for IVF drugs are going up on July 1st. So are we committing or not? Like we've actually bought the drugs for IVF before we paid the IVF bill. So I have all these IVF drugs. I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do with these if we don't go through with this. So there's that. There's putting my life on hold. There's these periods of time. So now we've decided that we're doing this and we have all these potential dates where they're like, I'm going in for all these checkups. And it's like, okay, if things look good on this date, then we're going to take this step. And if things look good here, we're going to take this step. So right now it's looking like potentially we will start the drug injections um, next on Thursday, which would be just a few days after this episode is released. And so life has to be on hold. I can't like I have to be able to go into the doctor every one to two days for the 14 days after that while we prepare and see if they can get my body ready for um, a potential egg retrieval. And then that's a surgical procedure that would happen sometime at the beginning of August or the beginning to middle of August. So putting life on hold for that, we're doing that. Then there's also the glaring reality that it might not work. You put all this money into it and you go to 1 million appointments. And when you are approaching 41, there is multiple places and multiple little uh, like pinpoints where things can just come to a screeching halt. So you go in to do an egg retrieval and maybe the, well, and even leading up to the egg retrieval, it's like maybe your ovaries don't do what they're supposed to do. Maybe they don't produce enough eggs. Maybe they don't, maybe they produce eggs, but when they go in to take them out and they put them, um, they put them together with the, um, with the sperm that the embryos don't actually, that the sperm doesn't fertilize the egg. And so you don't actually get embryos. And then if you do get embryos, maybe they don't make it to day five because for the embryos to be viable, they have to make it to day five. And a lot of them drop off before that. When you're 41, that happens more than when you're young, definitely a lot more when you're than when you're younger. And then beyond that, we will do freezing and genetic testing. And so we will freeze our embryos if we get any. And once you have your embryos frozen and they do genetic testing, you might find out that none of them are chromosomally normal. A friend of mine just had that happen. So she went through the whole process and went through the genetic testing and all of her embryos were chromosomally abnormal. So you can't use those. That's pretty traumatic. So we have all these little points along the way where you get yourself like all built up and it feels like a long time coming. I have to tell you, I actually, when I went to the doctor today, I totally thought we were starting all this on Monday and I had the date wrong on my calendar. And she's like, yeah, so when you come back next Thursday and I was like, what next Thursday? And you're saying like, it's three days, no big deal. It's like once you've made this decision, you're like, can we please just go? Can we please just start? So for us, it's waiting until Thursday and then going through this whole thing to see like, what can we get out of it? What will my body actually do? What, how will the drugs impact me? And then beyond that, will we get any viable um, embryos and what will the genetic testing show? And then we go through the process of unfreezing and trying to transfer them, which we can't do for a couple more months. So it's this like really long process for an impatient redhead type A kind of a person like me. That is really painful to have it be like this long and drawn out. Oh my gosh. I'm like, can we just like adopt a baby next week instead? Like if we're going to do this, let's just do this. Like It's so hard to wait. So there's all that. There's the side effects of the hormones. I have to be on doing daily injections of anywhere from one to three injections a day um, between next Thursday and when we actually do the retrieval. So it's for about a two week period. Also during that time, I don't get to have any wine, just FYI. 
So if you see me cranky posting cranky things on social media, it's because I'm having many hormone injections and no wine for 12 days. And then there's the side of the potential that nothing can come of it. And then there's the potential that something could come of it. Like, oh my God, what if something actually does happen? What if we actually end up with viable embryos? We have to decide how many we're going to transfer and put back in. So do we put in one or two or three? And then we have to see what happens and see what sticks. And I have to be on drugs during all of that as well. I have to be on big fat butt injections of progesterone oil um, for 10 weeks during that period, which make you sick. I did progesterone when I was pregnant with Vinny. It was not pretty. I really hated it. I could barely drive. I was so nauseous. So that's where we're at. So I'm sharing this with you because like I said, I feel like people don't talk about the decision to have one child versus two child and it's versus two children. And I wanted to get my story out in my perspective and just say thank you so much to everyone who posted on social media and answered my question yesterday and shared in the conversation because you told some really, really amazing stories. And I so appreciate your openness and your honesty and sharing. That's so, um, it, it's so heartwarming to me. And it means so much to me to know that when I reach out, people are ready to connect and engage. That is very meaningful to me in this community. So I really, really appreciate that. I also share this with you because I think that IVF is something that people don't really talk about until after they do it. And then they're like, oh yeah, I did IVF. And they're kind of quiet about it through the process, which I totally understand because there are so many unknowns. But I kind of want to not be quiet through the process. I want to just share what's happening as it happens. I wear my emotions on my sleeve anyway. So I figure like you may as well know what's going on if I'm like doing an, doing an episode and I seem like total Debbie Downer, I may as well tell you in advance, like, okay, so things are not working out as planned and this is why. So now I'm going to record this episode versus like trying to just fake my way through something where you'll all be like, God, she's kind of a negative Nancy today. So that's where we're at. If you have done IVF at like 40 ish years old, I would love to hear your story. And I have to say, thank you. People have already reached out to me with some of their stories and it's been in a personal, like through um, either through Facebook messaging or via email to just share a little more in depth than maybe what they would feel comfortable sharing on a Facebook page. And I have to say, I just appreciate that so much. I know that for people, a lot of people, that's really, really personal information to share. And I love reading the stories and it makes me feel so hopeful to know that I'm not alone in this and that infertility is not, it is what you make it. And if you make it this isolating experience and this like hush hush thing, then that's what it is. And it's uncomfortable and awkward, but it can also be, it is someone that it, it is something that impacts so many women. So I appreciate you all sharing with me because I don't want other women to feel like they need to like hide behind infertility. And so I want to continue to share about our experience and our story. And I want to hear your stories as well. So thank you so much for listening today. I promise that I will not make every episode moving forward all about IVF, but I will give you some updates here and there. And I will definitely be doing some Facebook posts and Facebook live stuff just to kind of keep you up to date so that I don't have to use every episode of the Shameless Mom Academy to make it an IVF update. Because I understand that that might be a little boring for some of you. Um, but I did want to give you an update as to where we are at and where, what our story is like right now. So thanks for listening. And... Know that if this is your first time listening, we do release episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So you can subscribe if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. You can subscribe that way. You can also leave us a review there. And also, if you have any stories that you want to send me, you can send them to info at shamelessmom.com is a great way to reach out if you want to communicate with me via email. And you can find past episodes at shamelessmom.com. So we have all of our back episodes there. In addition to that, you can um, share this episode with other people who you know who are doing two things, trying to make a decision about having another child or going through some sort of fertility treatment. Because I think that sharing stories 
is like what makes the world go round. Sharing stories is such a big deal to me and it is such a powerful thing. So if my story would help someone in your life, please do share it. You can go to shamelessmom.com and find the link to this episode or you can go to... um, you can go to any of our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Shameless Mom Academy. And then on Twitter, we are at Shameless Mom. So you can find us anytime in any of those places. And this episode, I'm going, I'm just clicking through here really quick. I want to see what episode it's going to be. This is going to be episode number 43. So if you're referring someone to this episode or you're looking for it on our, on our website, you can go to shamelessmom.com and look for episode 43. And that will be an easy way for you to grab the link and share it with other people. If you want to send it via email or if you want to share it, share it via social media, just with a larger network of moms that it might be helpful to. So, all right, with that, big love and send me all your fertility juju moving forward. I need everything that you got. So thank you so much for listening. And remember, no matter what you do today or between now and when I talk to you again, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us, 